for, for initial access, there's another trend I should mention, and it's that InfoStealer malware uh, has become very popular, where, you know, this is uh, like CircleCI. Um, I think this might have affected LastPass as well. Uh, Electronic Arts, you know, a lot of the lapsus uh, attacks in 2021 and 2022, where this malware just steals all your cookies, all your logged in sessions. And then they have markets. We just saw uh, uh, law enforcement just took down the Genesis market, which is one of these big markets where you can just buy OAuth tokens and boom, you're logged into somebody's Slack. Boom, you're logged into somebody's GitHub. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Adrian Sanabria. He's a former guest who did a great myth-busting show that you should definitely check out if you haven't heard his stuff before. Now, Adrian has held many roles in the industry, practitioner, product side, analyst. Uh, he is currently the director of product marketing over at Valence Security, and he is also on the side always doing freelance research on the entire cybersecurity world, scene, community, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Adrian routinely produces gems of analysis about the cyber world. One of his articles um, recently inspired me to have him come out on the show again. The conversation today is about automating the skills gap that the bad guys seem to have. Adrian, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Hello and howdy from Knoxville, Tennessee. How All right, now? Knoxville. <laughs> Knoxville, Tennessee. That's a, that's a Tennessee and Texas are friendly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the, uh, all my exes live in Texas, that's why I hang my hat in Tennessee. That's a famous old country song. All right. Yeah. I've, 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 I'm reverse country song then. All my exes there you go. Are, yeah. In Tennessee. So you got to come hang your hat in Texas then. Yeah, yeah. Got to go move to Texas. All right. So, um, Adrian, we are talking about uh, this kind of this high-level concept of yours, Um Couple of couple of things sort of colluded, I think, in your mind, and and, and I want to walk through it in a little bit of a sort of a, a linear order so we can get the listeners caught up. But essentially, you're hypothesizing that there's a skills gap in the bad guy world, just like there's one in the good guy world, and you're also hypothesizing that the presence of LLM AI, uh, that's large language models for those who don't know all the all the abbreviations and acronyms in that world, uh, could potentially help automate the bad guys in such a way that it helps close their skills gap. And so that means the bad guys are going to become more effective and more efficient at the bad guys stuff. Um, so, so that, that being sort of the premise um, let's, let's walk through this. Oh, and one other premise I want to mention is we're talking about extortion per se and not ransomware. So let's start with that one. Why are we talking extortion and not ransomware? What's the quick uh, premise there? Right. So, so when ransomware became a problem, um, it, it was fully automated like any other malware, and it would just hit individuals, and it would hit you up for like 500 bucks, 1,000 bucks, something like that. And then, you know, the kind of the critical move here is they realized, hey, we can go after entire organizations all at once. And instead of getting, you know, negotiating individually with people over, is it going to be $500 or $400 to unlock your files? Uh, you know, we, we can get a much better payoff and go after a company, get millions of dollars potentially. And so, so that really de-emphasized the importance of the ransomware because before you can get the ransomware where it needs to go, basically every, every ransomware campaign, you know, which 
you know, I, I, I think of them more as extortion campaigns, just looks like a pen test. Like most of them, if, if you read through the reports and there's tons and tons of reports that go over the different techniques that are used and everything, it reads exactly like every pen test you've ever seen. And step 17 or 21 or whatever, that's the ransomware piece. It's, it's an important piece. It's the lever that makes you pay. So I, I think of, of ransomware as the extortion lever. But referring to the whole thing as ransomware, I think is harmful because it kind of de-emphasizes the fact that you failed to stop them in the other 16 or, or 20 steps before they got to the ransomware. And that's kind of the important bit because the ransomware, that extortion lever um, is, is replaceable. And we've already seen them shift from encrypting files to stealing your data and threatening to release it to the public. And they can do they they can make that move again. Like we've seen signs that uh, they they could potentially move to just bricking your systems. So I'm going to kill one of your systems so that you have to physically replace the hardware once an hour until you pay. You could run into that kind of situation. Wow. Yeah. So extortion is a is a good superset term that kind of incorporates ransomware, but also all these other sorts of attacks. Um. All right. So let's talk about the target first. Um, this idea that um, the vast majority of organizations are not, in fact, you know, prepped for a proper defense. Um, what's what's kind of some logic behind that? Yeah, so, you know, we, the actual number of ransomware events uh, does keep going up. Uh, you know, it's it's I guess it's kind of a positive sign that we saw a big drop in the number of companies that are, are paying. So, so actual ransomware payments dropped by 40%. But the actual, you know, the, the impact of ransomware and, and companies getting hit by ransomware, like it's, it's not changing. And there's no single product, you know, because really you have to defend against, um, you know, a, a pen test, basically, which, which uh, you know, if you block in one place, it doesn't just fail. You know, they'll, they'll find another way in. And, um, and yeah, just getting good at security in general and raising up that bar. And it's kind of a joke among uh, pen testers, right? Like they, they get in pretty much a hundred percent of the time. Uh, at least it, you know, there is a part of the market that's really good at security, you know, and, and pen testers have a really hard time and they have to get really sophisticated to get in, but that's not most of the industry. I still talk to companies that are running their first ever vulnerability scan. And these are like 30, 40, 50 year old companies that have never run a vulnerability scan before. They're, they're starting out you know, from, from square one. And, um, and unfortunately that that's a big chunk of the industry. So there's a lot of low hanging fruit out there. And, you know, I think the only reason we don't see tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of uh, incidents of uh, breaches every year is just because there's not enough bad guys out there to take advantage. All right. So this is, this is a core tenet of your hypothesis here. Let's, let's, let's double down on that. Premise one, there aren't as many attacks as there could be because we know for a fact there's more vulnerabilities than what we're seeing actually exploited. Premise two, we're therefore concluding the bad guys have a skills gap just like we do. There aren't enough troops on the bad guy's side to be manning the keyboards to be taking advantage of all the targets that are out there. So um, that's our premise one and two. You mentioned earlier, and, and you kind of suggested about this in, in the article you sent me, about the Joe Sullivan case, uh, the fact that we've sort of got a publicized view into um, 
an organization. Obviously, it's just one organization, but there there was talk about other things going on around that. What's what's kind of some supporting evidence from that quadrant? Yeah, so that was uh, so. So first of all, big thanks to Ryan McGeehan for combing through thousands of pages of transcripts. He paid out of his pocket uh, to get access to the transcript, so he paid money to do that. Spent I don't know how many hours going through there and pulling out all the interesting bits. And one of the really interesting bits was that the attackers that hit, uh, so the Joe Sullivan case, this this was a breach that happened in 2016. And uh, so a long time ago already, but the attackers paid somebody to write a script to basically cred stuff, uh, a huge list of, of millions of known credentials of, of already compromised credentials from other uh, incidents. And there, there's tons and tons of these, these files out there. Uh, pen test. Yeah. Yeah. Pen testers use them. You know, they're, they're, they're pretty easy to find out there. And they, they hired this person to create a script that would just test these against github.com. And they got over a hundred thousand working logins. And oh dear. so way more than they could potentially take advantage of. And, right. and this is kind of where that realization came in. And, and basically what they what they did to solve this problem, this problem they have of having too much access uh, to to private data, is they they ran it up against the the Alexa top one million websites, and you know the most popular website that they had working logins for was Uber, and that's why Uber got targeted. Intersection Popul- of popularity plus already have access. Yeah, yeah, and they and they and it wasn't just one account; it was like thirteen accounts, twelve accounts, something like that. Okay. So what I'm hearing is a good defensive strategy is to not have anyone coming to your business. <laughs> Fly under the radar. Pro, pro tip for the business owners out there, make sure your business does horribly and you'll be safer from cyber attack. Um, <laughs> but that's that's crazy to me that they, A, had that much access. There's B, that much password to reuse. C, that it's in something as important as GitHub. And, of course, that means GitLab and all the other ones, you know, are, are in the same state. Password reuse is supposed to be something that technologists know not to do. Obviously, that ain't happening. Um and then, and then we have this intersection of ease, ease of use of, of finding out who's popular. So, all right, so Uber meets the we have a bunch of accounts slash it's a very popular website uh, criteria, and then they and then they make their move. And to your point, it's it's not much different from a pen test. Yeah. Um, well, there, there's for for initial access. There's another trend I should mention, and it's that info stealer malware uh, has become very popular. Where you know this is uh, like Circle CI. Um, I think this might have affected LastPass as well. Uh, Electronic Arts. You know a lot of the lapsus uh, attacks in 2021 and 2022, where this malware just steals all your cookies, all your logged in sessions, and then they have markets. We just saw uh, uh, law enforcement just took down the Genesis market, which is one of these big markets where you can just buy OAuth tokens and boom, you're logged into somebody's Slack. Boom, you're logged into somebody's GitHub. Uh, all you need, all you need, is that token. So you don't even have to do cred stuffing anymore. You just, uh, you know, now, now they're just directly stealing the tokens out of people's browsers. Always, always another new pleasant um, approach from the bad just guys, a, right? Just a cheerful point I wanted to throw in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks. We all feel better. All right. Um, so now we've got kind of the outline. We've got the the problem statement. We've got the target statement. We've got the um, hypothesis that there's a skills gap. So now let's pivot to what are the baddies going to do 
about the skills gap. Uh, and we call them baddies from now on, ever since Adrian Wright was on the show, that reference to that comedy sketch, Are, are We the Baddies? Are We the Baddies? <laughs> yes. Um, so the baddies now, they've got cool new toys that have come down the pike that have come out for all of us. And, but, of course, every time a cool new toy comes down the pike, the baddies have their own take on it. Right. And we're specifically talking about LLM AIs. So walk me through what a bad guy can do to facilitate an extortion attack, leveraging that kind of tool. Yeah. So, you know, a couple things had to come together here. So I've been following um, LLM AIs for a while and I've been advising everybody, like you've got to go in and use these tools. Like I've seen a lot of people assuming what they can and can't do. And you, you just can't do that. It's, it's, they're pretty remarkable tools. Yes, they do some really dumb things. Some of them, like like Google Bard, had some serious hallucination problems. Um, you know, and it's easy to point at those and laugh, but they're really quite remarkable at, at certain things. And the attackers have mostly automated things already, you know, so that, you know, they, they don't need to automate a whole lot more. All of a sudden, you know, now you've, you've got this large language model um, could totally handle negotiation on price, right? Like so, some of these pieces that you would still have humans do. And so I just kind of systematically went through the anatomy of a ransomware attack and, and asked myself and actually did some active testing uh, with, with, uh, with some of these tools to see uh, if, if the, the remaining pieces that are done by a human could be fully automated. You know, so like a lot of the attack stuff, like, like most of a pen test is automated today. Whether whether it's a ransomware attack, an extortion campaign, uh, you know, a pen tester from your average firm, they're automating most of it already. And uh, and yeah, I, I so so the only piece that seems like a bottleneck um, is potentially getting paid. That's the one piece, and that still worries me because any any time the good guys are are having having wins and having a good time it's it's typically short-lived you know so 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 we saw this we got really good at stopping exploit kits uh back in the early uh 2010s you know exploit kits were the things where you would go to a website and boom you're infected with malware and and that's part of the reason that ransomware became a thing is we got really good at stopping those style of attacks so they had to shift strategy the bad guys don't and and, and we know that these organizations more than ever are run like businesses. They have their own research and development, their own R and D budgets. And, uh, and we also know, you know, thanks to, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm blaming it on Facebook, but whoever leaked Facebook's large language model uh, project uh, kind of kicked off this whole open source movement to, to build basically an open source chat GPT. You know, so the question of, well, can't just Google Microsoft and OpenAI just, you know, clamp down on alignment so that bad guys can't use it. Well, you know, that that's that's no longer an option because you can roll your own. Yeah, the cat's the cat's out of the bag. There's no there's no stuffing AI back in the toothpaste tube. It's out. Uh, these large language models are out and, and everybody can use them. So for our listeners, I'm going to go through Alan's uh, simplified and stupid uh, ransomware steps. Um, I, I kind of just was thinking this through, and I was thinking this through in terms of what can be automated today. So step one is obviously you got to get your foot in the door, and that's historically done either by exploiting a vulnerability or by phishing. Those are your two methods to get your foot in the door. 
auto scans, auto exploits is all there for the vulnerabilities. So in other words, the vuln side of that fork is already automated. Phishing, I personally have used um, ChatGPT to write phishing emails. Um, I, I've done it. It works. So LLM is now helping to automate that initial step if it's that side of the fork, right? I would throw a third one in there. Uh, the, the third one would be somebody else does the work of finding the access. Like somebody else wrote the script, got 100,000. You know, they only attacked Uber. What are they going to do with the other 999,000 working logins? They're going to sell it on the on the market. So so you outsource that to somebody right, else. Right, right, right. But but again, automation effectively, right? You you can I mean, you can you can write a script that says go find these lists, you know, download them, uh, even de- deposit a you know, deposit a wee bit of bitcoin to get them or whatever the whatever the transaction is. That that can all be automated too. So so now we have all three ways in are automated. Then you have your lateral, you have your command and control. All that is already automated, right? You've got your Kerber roasting. You've got your Mimicats. You've got your, you know, de- deploy the command and control payload, and now and now your automated backend is talking to your automated target, uh, the gathering of credentials, the escalation of privileges, all that, the canvas and recon to figure out what data is there that you want to either steal or ransom, you know, to your point, hijack and just, you know, threaten to publish. All that part's automated. And then to your point comes the final extortion, and again, you're saying LLM comes in there. So... LLM to me is locking in on the front end on the phishing vector and on the back end on the extortion. And to your point, I believe we just described the entire process is now automated. The entire process. Let's pause right there real quick for a word from our sponsor. Do you want to make cloud security risks a no-brainer and remove friction between your security and dev teams? Well, Daz takes the pain out of the cloud remediation process using automation and intelligence to discover, reduce, and fix security issues. Lightning fast. Daz prioritizes alerts, shrinks backlog to actionable root causes, and improves mean time to remediation from weeks to hours. And best of all, keeps your developers focused on what they love doing most, coding. Visit daz.io demo and see for yourself. That's D-A-Z-Z dot I-O slash demo. Yeah. Yeah. And the, so, so the interesting thing about, so auto GPT is a thing. What what, what is auto GPT? So uh, the idea behind auto GPT is it's uh, a large language model um, talking to itself where it can basically break off threads. So the interesting thing here, like traditionally when you automate something, you write code, you have to, you have to be very specific with every step you have to test every step. You know, you need error handling. You've got a debug. But with a large language model, you can give it just a general goal. Like, you can give it some specifics, but, you know, like, like you, you, once you kick it off, it figures out what those steps in between are, and, and it doesn't give up. Like, it'll keep launching threads. Like, if something doesn't work, it'll just keep trying. So you don't know if it's going to take it 12 steps uh, you know, to execute uh, an extortion campaign or 200 steps. And frankly, you don't really care. As long as you've been explicit enough about what the goal should be, and maybe you do put some pr- parameters around what it's allowed to do, and you give it some resources, like we've seen tests where uh, uh, large language models are capable of hiring humans to do work that they can't do, like get by, get by a CAPTCHA. Um, yeah, once it's connected to the internet, once it, you give it resources, you give it the ability to 
reach out and use systems in the internet like a human would, um, it's going to figure out all those middle steps. It, maybe it's going to try things that we haven't even considered. So that's very different than automating in terms of like scripting everything. Yeah. And I, I can't help but feel, too, that eliminating the human, and I'm speaking from the baddies perspective here, eliminating the human from the negotiation phase you're not going to have to worry about sympathy, heartstrings, you know, oh, these poor guys, I beat them up more than I usually beat up most people. Or, you know, I remember the last time we settled for 20% of the initial asking price, you know, all those human factors that might cause you to basically give in and 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 soften the blow and, and accept a reduction in the initial asking price for the ransom. Um, uh, LLMs aren't going to suffer any of that emotional content. They're just going to keep doing their thing until, you know, status quo is achieved, right? And, you know, one of the other automation things we, we mentioned in that phase of, um, what do we call it, the canvassing, where you're trying to figure out what data you want to get. Um, the best and most successful in large campaigns that I've seen against large enterprises, one of the items they find in their canvassing is the cybersecurity insurance policy. And once you've found that, you know precisely how much they can pay, Right. Um, and, and that technique has been used more than once against these large enterprise targets. And, and again, uh, an LLM is just going to lock in on that figure and say, you know, whatever. Feel free to chat with me all you want, human. Uh, here's my figure. <laughs> you know, so it's not going to give. It's not going to bow. It's not going to kowtow. It's not going to have sympathy. It's not going to have empathy. It's just going to harden, harden that part of the process, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, it can certainly emulate um empathy you know but it but it, it doesn't suffer from it you know it's 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 not going to be a, a block for it like you you have to do a lot of alignment work a lot of um and, and and that's a lot of the work that researchers are putting into llms so you build your model and by default your model your language model doesn't care you know so the the care if you if you want to avoid uh, you know, some some of these uh, malicious or, you know, unintentionally bad side effects, you have to go through fine tuning and alignment, which in, in AI terms, alignment is is telling it that it cares, <laughs> telling it what what's OK, what's not OK, you know, basically building a rule set for it on how to behave. And if you're if you're going to roll your own, you know, if the bad guys are going to roll their own. Totally up to them how much uh, how much of that they want to build in, if if any. They they can just uh, let it let it be as as uh, cold hearted as as possible. Right, right. There's a certain almost Eliza approach where even though it's capable of much more language, it can just come back with these short, simple. I'm not going to answer that kind of answers, right? Like it can just it can just shut you down, right? That's that's one of the options is just when you when you encounter these kinds of inputs, you know, default answers of just sorry. Yeah. No. <laughs> Reminds me of those Star Trek uh, Next Generation episodes where they mess with uh, their, like, calibrating data's uh, feelings. <laughs> and they give them too much, they, you know, and they, they have to dial it back. Something like that. They have to find his original creator because he's, he's just has too much empathy, too much feeling. Yep. He's out of control on the uh, on the feelings side of the house. Yeah, I remember that. Um, so, all right. So, so what we're saying is basically yet another um, you know scary story about where this LLM AI world could take us. Um, I want to make sure that we're not accused of fear mongering here. Um, you know, because that's 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 a common you know 
oh, new technology exists, pound the drum, then it's going to be evil and corrupt society and blah, blah, blah. I think we all saw, you know, I mean, you and I are of an age where we remember the Internet coming out, right? Like like it was a thing. Once upon a time it wasn't, and then it was. And there was all this prediction about all the horrible and evil things that were going to get done with it. But, of course, all the good things happened as well, right? And and I think for me the LLMAI story is is the same kind of thing. Like, yes, we're, we're exploring and talking about potentials for abuse and potentials for the baddies to really leverage it as a tool. But I, but I want to emphasize that there's so much good coming out of that tool as well, right? Like it's not, you know, yes, a hammer can be used to conk someone on the head, but it's also used to drive nails and build homes and, you know, all those good things. And I think it's that kind of a story. What's your what's your take on that? Is there, you know, the fear-mongering around LLMs uh, and AIs and, and basically just any any cool new technology that comes down the pike? What's your what's your take on that fear-mongering? Yeah, so so you know, I definitely don't want this to come across this way. Like, I really hope the baddies are not able to to leverage this. And, and you know, we we've done some amazing work, uh, law enforcement especially, on frustrating uh, the getting paid portion. So, crypt, cryptocurrencies, mut, you know, thanks a lot to tools like Chainalysis and, and others out there that that make it easier to uh, you know to follow, to shut down, to recover funds. Um, and, and while that worries me because that's going to, that's going to force the attackers to, to shift tactics, um, you know, that, that's, that's certainly a huge win here. And, and with large language models, um, you know, I, I, I think detection and response is probably going to be one of the areas anywhere where alert fatigue is a problem is a huge opportunity for large language models to, uh, to automate a lot of that stuff away. And it'd be because it, I mean, telling something what you're looking for, you know, automating kind of like the, the lower tiers, uh, you know, the tiers of SOC analysts that, that are really just kind of digging through the noise, separating noise from signal. Uh, This should be an opportunity to uh, make a lot of those products, a lot of that alert fatigue go away. I'm, I'm hoping, you know, it's certainly seems like it can. Yeah, no, that's a that's a super positive use case, I think. One of the big things that we need to do that's already happening is we need to shrink the size of the large language models down. And so physically, the size of the model needs to be shrunk down to, to where it can fit on a smartphone, to where it can fit uh, in, in the memory of a browser session. Uh, so WebGPT is an effort uh, that, that we're working on for that. And one of the benefits of that is you'll be able to use a SaaS uh, large language model service, you know, like ChatGPT, but it it could have like a private mode where instead of doing that processing on their servers, uh, they can drop the the model into your browser session to where all that happens locally, and you're never sending them your IP addresses, your sensitive data uh, that might be in your prompt. So that that might that might help solve some of the privacy issues. But then also reducing the cost of building that language, uh, you know, that that LLM uh, was initially very expensive. And already they're like two, three orders of magnitude. They've reduced the cost of, of right, building right. that we're, model. We're seeing a propagation now that wasn't there before. It started with the big guys, but it'll soon be the small guys, too, to your earlier point. Yeah, so so that's the first step we need to be able to, like, have have, you know, like an NDR or, you know, SIM or, you know, some kind of on-prem security product that can train its own models, you know, and, and, and it not cost a fortune and, and take half a year to do it. 
Right, right. Yeah, that's a, that's a great positive uh, positive use case. I'll throw one more negative one out there, which you know hasn't been discussed a whole lot. Uh, one thing people have asked about is, you know, does ChatGPT store your stuff? And ChatGPT denies that they do. I asked ChatGPT itself, "Do you store my stuff?" And it said, "No." And I said, "But what about blah blah blah?" And it responded in the context of having stored my stuff, right? In other words, like at least for the duration of a given conversation, it's most definitely storing your stuff. It has memory of a given thread. Now it's claiming that once that thread is ended, it's not storing any of that stuff. We, you know, it could. No, um, no, it, it's, it's, it's got every, every conversation I've had with chat GPT still is still sitting in there. It's okay. All, it, it's all stored in there. All right. So, so there's two different things. Um, you can use it via the API. And if you use it via the API, there's a default. Uh, the default is opt out. Uh, okay. th they say they, they don't look at your prompts if, if you use it via API, unless you want them to. And there's a form you can fill out to opt in. I don't know why anybody would do that. But uh, with the web interface, if you're using ChatGPT through a web browser at chat.openai.com, that is default opt in. They right. are allowed to look at the details of your prompts. Uh, and and th this is not, you know, anything crazy. Every other SaaS service is like this where, sure. you know, to improve the quality of the service, like they have a thumbs up, a thumbs down option that, that you can click. If you click thumbs down, somebody's probably going to go look at your prompt and figure out, you know, why did it not work for you? you right, know, they're, they're right. Just, they're, you know, legitimately just trying to improve the service. Right, but I, but I bring all this up because... That makes them their own rich target. Oh, sure. You know, it's just like uh, if you hit LastPass, you don't just hit LastPass. You got everyone else's passwords, right? That's the whole goal. That's why you want to hit LastPass. They're a supply chain target. Yeah. They're a supply chain target. And I think chat, GPT, and all these other language, large language models have, have ended up doing the exact same thing because who knows who's fed what, but I'll bet there's some really juicy, interesting stuff in there that'll help you attack the users of chat GPT. So that's, that's the one more negative. It's yet another... Um, aggregator of of targets right and that's that's why technical breakthroughs like web gpt are going to be important you know ver versions of of these SaaS services where you know there, there's some confidentiality uh to to using the the service so it'll it'll and, and all that's going to happen this has happened so fast like <laughs> we're, we'll have completely different conversations to have about this uh six months from now Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it it is moving very very quickly, and it's exciting to see all the all the innovations and adaptations and iterations, you know, and all the stuff that's coming through. So yeah, well, Adrian, thank you so much uh, for coming on down to the ranch, and thank you for sharing all this perspective. I think it's a great story. Um, I think it's a narrative we all need to be considering. I, I think we very often don't put ourselves in the shoes of the bad guys whenever we're looking at what we're looking at. Uh, this is one of those moments where you've obviously really thought that through and done that. Um, and, and I think this is a compelling argument. I, I think there probably is a skills gap on their side, and I think tools like this are definitely going to help them close that skills gap. So there you have it. My, my final thought here, you know, and, and, and what I'd recommend to people, the whole reason we're having this conversation, I, I feel in security especially, it's super important for us to use new technology, to throw ourselves into, to take some risks, uh, to, to use it directly, to learn it, to keep track of emerging trends in tech because ultimately that that's gonna that's gonna change our job you know it, yeah that it's it's uh you know people in our organizations are going to start using it and and just like you were 
explaining like like understanding opt-in versus opt-out you know the these services uh you know we get a we get to be the early adopters using this stuff and to to fully understand it so that when somebody comes to us and asks us hey what should we do here should we be blocking chat gpt for the the organization should we not should we not block it and instead monitor it yeah you, you can give a good answer right on all right, so Adrian Sanabria, Director of Product Marketing at Valence Security, host of the Enterprise Security Weekly podcast. We've got to give a shout-out to your show, Enterprise Security Weekly. Uh, Adrian's a host over there. It's a great show. We've, we've done some cross stuff, um, you know, the Enterprise uh, Weekly – or the Security Weekly guys and I. Uh, and then also the B-Sides Knoxville organizer. Um, Knoxville ends up being one of the uh, best B-Sides out there uh, in, in a lot of ways due to Adrian's incredible amount of energy and effort he throws his shoulder into that wheel. Um, so any uh, anything else, any last thoughts beyond what you just shared? Yeah, no, just just get out there and use it. Don't assume what it can and can't do. You, you got to try it. Right on. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>